Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. On each episode, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. Today, we'll be talking about internet privacy and the trends and developments that are affecting marketers and other content producers everywhere. With me on the podcast is Godfrey's marketing technologist, Tyler Lowry. Tyler's been in digital marketing for about 13 years, so he comes to us with a depth of experience and is just an all-around nice guy. Good to have you, Tyler. Well, thank you, Scott. That's very nice of you to say that. (laughs) Tell me a little (laughs) bit about what a marketing technologist does. So marketing technologist has uh, a unique opportunity to have kind of complex conversations with clients. We, We meet with a lot of different key stakeholders, if you will. Um, to have difficult conversations in the ultimate goal to figure out how to tie data together to not only give client to give end users a nice user experience, but also to help us as marketers have a great ROI uh, and make sure that we have that data tied together to do so. So when things uh, come up, I know we talked about uh, you know a couple of years ago, everybody was talking about GDPR. Uh, yep. There were these these big concerns around the way that we actually get people's buy-in. Uh, to be able to then market to them, uh, a lot of that around email and and that sort of thing as well. Uh, so I know you were busy then, and oh, yeah. uh, and now we're we're talking again about data privacy and some developments with with Apple, Google, Facebook. Uh, I would like to know more about what's going on with that, and uh, and we can we can dig into how marketers need what they need to be aware of, and also how they need to be responding in this climate. Sure thing. Well, kind of as a recap. Uh... As we know, 2018 saw a really interesting kind of influx and change in the way of which privacy works uh, with the, the launch of GDPR uh, for anybody that's a European citizen. Um, that really kind of first started the wave, if you will, of really true enforceable acts uh, and really giving the end user, giving you and I the, as, as the, the end users, the ability to really manage how our data is um, being controlled by, by companies. Um, GDPR, as you know, for you know, for instance, was really important in, in giving European citizens that that control and access to be able to tell a to tell a a company, I want to know everything you have about me. I want to know all the information. I want to be able to have you permanently delete it. Um, previously, before that, we had some laws, which you know, as you mentioned, were kind of relating to email, castle and can spam acts, uh, and, and you know, kind of trying to clamp down on those companies, you know, soliciting you and filling your inbox with junk emails that um, you know for for things that you know and really signed up for. Um, and ever since then, we've continued to see different changes um, upon themselves as, as in the industry in general. Uh, we've seen Apple change um, you know, a couple of years ago with the, with the iOS, with their new uh, iPhone 12 launch. They made that big announcement with the upcoming um, iOS 14, I believe it is. Um, being able to say that, look, any app that you have out here, will you be able to control your data from the standpoint of be able to understand um, and give them access or not access if they're sharing data across different platforms. It's a huge, huge um, change that we're seeing um, in, in a very large company that is a tech company, for instance, um, being able to tell people, to tell the, the, the world, look, we're actively taking a stance in, in how your data is used. Um, you know, that really has a, has a big impact on people like Facebook um, and some of the some of the things that we've seen with that. So. Uh, we're definitely seeing the world change. Um, I think it's I think it's a very interesting time we're in. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are panicking because it's, it's seemingly on the outside. It's seemingly 
uh, taking away your your freedoms as a marketer to be able to gather data. But I really think that it's um, it's causing us as marketers to pivot and really think differently about the data that we have and make the decisions on, on how we really truly give an end user a great customer experience. Well, it's interesting, uh, you know, you talk about it, it taking away your, your freedoms or uh, perhaps your conveniences mm-hmm. as a marketer, uh, because, you know, as, as a marketer, but also as a private citizen, I can, I can look at this from two different perspectives, right? I mean, uh, as, a, as a marketer, I feel like I would have less power Mm-hmm. Um, or or less convenience than I've had in the past. I certainly mm-hmm. am going to have to change the way that I work as a private citizen. I'm thinking finally somebody's standing up for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm thinking that, uh, and you know, please please weigh in on that. But I'm thinking that marketers who are really going to give their customers good experiences are going to be able to pivot with this and going to be able to come up with some new ways to get the data that they need and use it responsibly. Absolutely. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. I really think that, you know, these changes in, in, in how privacy works and how, how privacy laws are continuing to change, be it um, GDPR and having to, you know, get the proper opt-ins to con- and consent to market to people, or if it's just changing how platforms like Google, Facebook, um, you know, Apple, for instance, how they're limiting data and, and making sure that you know and you have options to tell people how your data is being used. You know, I, yeah, I think that I think that in some ways it's giving the end user the kind of breath of fresh air of look, I think my information is being used and or I have more control over it per se. But at the same time, to your other point, you know, marketers, yes, they're 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 looking at this and saying, well, what do I do now if my seemingly easy way in which I could, you know, just grab some data, go to a third party store, buy some, you know, some, some data and start sending ads out. Now I have to take a look and, and reevaluate what data I have. How am I going to really uh, maximize what I have to, to be provide an effective customer experience? I think on top of that, you know, we, we as marketers, whether we like it or not, have a lot of data at our disposal. Um, and that is just a function of looking internally at our own companies and saying, look, what information do we have? Um, it may be difficult to find and difficult to get to because, you know, a lot of large organizations, as we know, you know, there's disparate areas of companies that have different pieces of information. So, for instance, sales might have some information. Um, fulfillment, parts fulfillment might have another piece of information about the user. Um, you know, you might Google Analytics and, and any type of website information that might have another piece of information. You know, it's all this first party data, which I think we're going to ha- we're going to see ourselves try as marketers, at least in, in, in what I'm seeing, trying to leverage that more so internally to be able to give people those and those end users those better customer experiences as a workaround in many ways than, you know, having to deal with some of the other, um, you know, privacy settings and, and, and dealing with those other, um, you know, the other rules that are out there. So when you talk about, uh, you're talking about a number of different kinds of data there. You're talking about it coming from different sources, but then yep. there's also, uh, you know, not all data is created equally, right? We hear about first party, <laughs> second party, third party data. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about the differentiations there. And actually, when we were talking about this the other day, you you had uh, a, a pretty good analogy, I thought. Yeah. Um, so maybe we want to share that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you and I are having fun talking talking about first, first, second, third party data and, and zero party data in, in the stance of you know, a pet store. Um, you and I were kind of 
waxing about this and, and having a good time talking about it. But it, you know, in that analogy, it's it's really just envisioning how close you are to that data. So Sam, the pet shop owner, you know, a great example, first party data, Sam, the pet shop owner, he has a whole bunch of sales for, throughout the month. He understands what people are buying off the shelves. He understands, you know, what types of people are coming through the store because, you know, think about it in the stance of, okay, this pet shop is, is a small town pet shop. So there's not a lot of people and with people that come through the doors, he really knows them well. He knows the people, he knows their families, things like that. You know, think about that as kind of the the web the, the website but in person type experience. Um, you know, first party data is going to be all that information that he has uh, that he's collected from sales, um, from inventory management, from all that type of interactions that he's had with people. Um, you know, the, the zero party data is going to be people that have given them information, saying, "Look, Sam, I want you to sign me up for this email because I want to learn more about the the different sales on cat food because my little fluffy the cat you know loves your cat food and things like that." Um, you know, second party data is going to be something that, you know, for instance, Sam may have a, um, a, a rep that comes through the door and says to him, look, Sam, I have some information about, um, you know, different people that have bought different products that are not in your store. So for instance, um, you know, I'm, I'm a cat food supplier and I have all this information as far as different types of people outside of your store that have bought data. I'll sell, I'll sell you this data and, you know, and, and we have an equal exchange of goods. You know, that's your second party data or your Google or your Google ads, for instance, you know, um, and then, you know, third party data is just. OK, you know, so someone, if I can. Yeah. If, if I can back you up for just a second. So so first party data is like, let's say let's say Sam, the pet store owner, has a loyalty program and yep. I sign up for that card and I scan it for discounts every time. Like he's collecting data on the fact that Fluffy the cat likes uh, sardine flavored fancy feast and is eating it probably six times a week, right? Now, I've freely given that information along yeah. with my name and address because he's giving me a discount. And so you're saying second-party data is when somebody from a competing cat food company comes in and says, you know, we found that cats that eat sardine-flavored Fancy Feast on, on a regular basis love these two flavors of our cat food. Could I send something to your customers that fit that bill? And Sam then sells it, right? And says, sure, yeah, for, for six bucks, you can have the data on, on this guy and you can go sell him some cat food. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, in that case, you have the, the, the cat food companies is, is the, uh, the partner organization, if you will, like a Google Ads. They're the one who are aggregating all this information. They're willing to sell this, sell this information to Sam, um, who's able to then use it to send an ad out, things like that. So, yep, that's definitely okay. a second party data. Yeah, and first party, you're absolutely right, is... is Information that someone that the end user is freely given to them or has given to them by browsing the shelves and and you know said I want to I'd I'd like this information about you know yes cat food or or your salmon flavored cat food in this case things like that absolutely right okay so I I'm 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 tracking along with this first party data second party data that makes yep. total sense to me um, I fully understand it and so far I'm pretty comfortable with this right <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it. But third-party data is is really where the rub is right now. Is that correct? That's that's what they're looking at uh, at kind of putting some kind of a throttle on this. Yeah. So it's it, as far as it's more so the large organizations that are just looking to put throttles on it. Um, you know, uh, Apple, for instance, using that as an example. So they're th they're looking to give the end user the ability to tell places, you know, in, in, in this instance, apps, 
they're they're being able to give the end user the ability to say, no, third-party app, you're not allowed to collect anonymous data about me. Typically, things like demographics, um, locations, uh, you know, what type of browser you're using, how long you're using the apps, things like that. But they're anonymous information that you and I may not know that is being collected in the background um, it, it, as you as you navigate from one app to another. You know, this is where you get into you know the the, the complaints that people used to have way back when that. Well, the internet's really listening into what I have to say, and you know, they're I'm getting retargeted for ads that are I had no idea I even said that, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, third party, third party is definitely those that kind of tertiary. I'm not really sure how this company got this information. It's somewhat related to me, but I'm not really sure hmm. how they got it. So it's 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 I don't want to say it's so, it's it's creepy, but it's it's just it's tertiary information. Yeah. So, so in our pet store scenario, yep. what's what's third party data when we're talking about cat food? Sure. So third party third party data could be someone like, um, you know, Mrs. Smith goes and buys some cat food, and and she's talking to Sam, um, and then she just happens to be walking down the aisles talking to Sam as she's walking out the door, and John Smith, who is the um, who's who's a competitive cat food maker. Uh, he just happens to pick up some information as and overhear what she's trying to talk about. He doesn't hear the entire conversation per se, but he overhears kind of some of the, the basics of what she said. Like, I, uh, you know, I like to come in twice a week to get this or um, I like um, I like different types of cat food, like the salmon flavor, for instance, she mentioned. He doesn't have full information and Mrs. Smith didn't give him this information. But he started to collect information that may be used in some in some form of ad later to target. Um, you know, you could you could then get this information from this other person um, and, and try and and try and put an ad in front of them. You know, that's what you know that's what Apple is really trying to crack down on. Yeah. So so maybe maybe she's walking out of the store and she's mentioned that her cat is actually extremely lazy. <laughs> and uh, and the guy at the hardware store next door overhears this and calls her up in the evening and says, would you like to buy some mousetraps? Because if you have a lazy cat, uh, my guess is you're probably going to need mousetraps. At which point she would appropriately be very wigged out by that. Use it the nail on the head. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's just, it's, it's data that is not, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not data that I've, that you I've given you. It's not data that I've gotten from you as the customer having a one-to-one interaction. Um, it's just this kind of tertiary data that's being, for lack of a better words, being scraped off the internet um, from different actions you've taken, um, whether you know that it's being collected or not. So, okay, we've we've given a good analogy with some uh, some some small town uh, cat food stalking, right? Uh, but but talk to me about data privacy you know, kind of back at that high level, yep. talk to me about data privacy and why it's, it's so very important right now. So again, going back to it, data privacy really kind of came to the forefront of the news and other whatnot with the, with the introduction of GDPR back in 2000, early 2018 in May. Um, really, it comes down to, um, you know, we're seeing sweeping legislation, sweeping changes. Um, California Consumer Pre- Protective Act um, is another one. It's just, it's about giving users the right to be able to tell how and dictate how their data is being used. You know, it's something that as we see the internet continue to become more and more part of our lives. I mean, you know, we're, we're I bet you, you know, nine to 10 people are walking around with a smartphone that's collect, that 
you know, you can do almost every single thing you'd ever possibly need on and don't need to go to your computer. You know, it's becoming more and more of a need to be able to give users the rights to do what they want with their data. And that's where you're seeing a lot of these different changes uh, and a lot in the inaction of a lot of these different laws. Um, you know, Brazil just uh, enacted something very similar to their own version of GDPR, uh, retroactively said, you know, I guess it was uh, end of the summer said, oh, it's now live. Um, and it's all just in the name of giving users the rights of how their data is being used. Um, trying to really clamp down on, on and, and give consumers, I think with some, in some ways, some confidence that, that they do, they don't feel like, um, you know, they're just a number out in the internet that is just there for, you know, people to advertise to. I think that they, you know, I think that a lot of this is, is really giving user rights and, and making them feel like, okay, if I give you my information, it's with a true intent and true purpose. Well, and it, it also strikes me that a lot of what we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about things that are happening in particular states, but we're also talking about things that are happening in other countries. You know, yep. you mentioned Europe with GDPR, you mentioned Brazil. Yeah. And because the internet is a ubiquitous, you know, sort of global presence, uh, that makes me feel kind of like marketers across the border, sort of like mountain climbers that are all mm -hmm. kind of connected to one another, right? What, what affects one will inadvertently affect everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have, we have conversations with clients about this all the time, you know, when they're asking questions about GDPR and, you know, the one question is, well, my website doesn't really serve anybody in, in Europe, you know, that I should be fine. Correct. And, and to some extent, yes, that's a true statement, but at the same time, that's just, you know, that's also a statement that kind of opens yourself up because, you know, you have no idea. And when you talk in kind of a global stance, you have no idea the person visiting your website, they could be in Peoria, Illinois, but they could be a citizen at the end of the day of, you know, Germany. So you have to face, you, you have to face GDPR laws in that way, because I remember a lot of these, a lot of these laws and a lot of these, um, you know, these different new policies that are put in place are based on the person's nationality, not just their um, you know, not just you know, where they physically are at the moment. You know, the California Consumer Privacy Act, that's for citizens of California um, and businesses doing doing work in California. So, um, yeah, you're seeing a lot of different rule, a lot of different uh, laws that are going into effect that are seemingly located to or relegated to one area, but are, are global in many sense, going back to what you were saying earlier. Yeah. So let's say... Um... The, let's say this is the first time hearing of this. Mm -hmm. And as a B2B marketer, what should I be doing at this point? Other than general <laughs> awareness, what should I, actions should I be taking right now? Um, you mean from a GDPR standpoint, or do you mean from a, what do I do with marketing in my, my data standpoint these days? Uh, you just in terms of, of generalized uh, responsibility, uh, managing privacy, managing data. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, I think the first thing you can do is really just kind of look inwards and take an audit of your data. Um, where is your data come from? Do you have uh, everybody that's filled out a form? Do you have op the applicable opt-ins? Um, you know, how are you using your data? That's another thing to kind of really take a look inwards and just kind of take stock and say, okay, if I have this Excel spreadsheet that, that has all this different information um, on current customers, past customers, et cetera, who are these people? How'd they get on this list? Um, what am I using this for? Um, is this a public list internally that, you know, sales is using versus, you know, a list that, that, that marketing is using, 
you know, and just really take us take stock and just kind of take a look at you know how is the data being used. And do I potentially, you know, am I potentially marketing to people in Europe? If I am, do I have the proper opt-ins? You know, I, I tend to, I don't want to say more concerned, but I tend to kind of um, go on the on more towards a cautious standpoint and say, look, you should have opt-ins for everybody. You know, I think it's good business in any ways you can to get um, an opt-in for someone because I think it truly means that someone is invested in learning more about your company if they have an opt-in, if they've opted in for something by filling out a form. Um, you know, I think that that's where you should really start from a data standpoint and understand again, what does the landscape of my data look like? Um, where is it coming from? Did it, did I, was it a content syndication a couple of years ago? I haven't interacted with these people. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's also in addition to looking at the, the kind of the nitty gritty of, of the data, what am I using it for? Have I not used it in a couple of years? Have I used it? You know, what do I want to use it for? Uh, and then really going from there, from there. So, so when we think about first party data and that's uh again like you said that's data that i've i've willingly shared yeah. um that really to me seems to be seems to be the 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 gold that people are really looking for um you know this is stuff that people have, have willingly handed over uh so you, it's not only uh more appropriate right and and i guess mm -hmm. it's the most ethical but it's also in many ways probably well it's going to be more accurate in certain mm -hmm. ways. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's really about how we see ourselves more so than how we actually behave. Uh, but it is very specific type types of data. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like that's, that's the kind you really want for the most part. Um, what, what should be like, what, what are some, some newer and better ways that people can be gathering that first party data? Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with the the uh, holistic approach to your digital footprint that is your company. You know, what is, how are you collecting the data to begin with and how do you, if you're not, how do you do it? You know, take a look at the website. You know, I, I would bet the majority of us nowadays as marketers would, would scoff at anybody that says that they don't have Google Analytics on their website, but you'd be surprised. You know, there are, there are people out there that don't have Google Analytics or some other type of analytics platform in one form or fashion. Um, tracking user interactions on the website. I think that that's the, that's the first, you know, the first floor where you can really start from, if you will. Um, taking a look at that, how are you collecting data? Are you missing opportunities? You know, audit, just because you have Google Analytics or another analytics platform doesn't mean it's tracking everything you want it to track. Um, you know, are there KPIs that are being missed that you need to, that you, that are very important to track? Um, you know, it could be basic KPIs. Is, are, am I capturing form submissions? Do I know how many form submissions I have in a very easy and kind of streamlined fashion, or do I have to go into different reports, different backend systems to try and pull this data? You know, take a look at your, um, you know, take a look at your data and, and understand is it even, you know, is your social data being collected in some way? Are you looking at your social data? You know, these are your customers interacting with your web properties and your, um, your overall um, your social properties at the same time. Are you collecting this data and do you have it um, you know, do you have it at, at your disposal? You know, I don't know if there's any social platforms these days that don't automatically collect data and, and report for you. Um, but I think that it's, you know, I, I'd be curious to see how many people really segment the data apart and understand, okay, if you have a LinkedIn profile and these are people that are giving you information specifically about themselves um, by connecting with your, with your company's account, are you looking at that? Are you looking at job descriptions? Are you looking at, you know, truly, this is again going back to what you had originally said. You know, this is information people are freely giving you and linking to you 
for you to be able to see, you know, are you collecting them the right way? You know, do you have, um, do you have, if you have a marketing automation platform or another, another CRM platform um, of some sort to, to manage backend processes and, and backend, um, you know, backend sales, do you have that connected together um, in order for you to be able to take a look and say at the end of the day, okay, Mr. C-Suite, I spent this much on ads. I knew this much about people. These people obviously, you know, form submissions, things along those lines. And at the end of the day, you equated this money sales, you know, really take a look and understand to your point, people giving you their information as first party data is incredibly valuable. Um, and again, a lot of it may be very unique to just your company, which is a huge advantage over, you know, competitors. It, it does sound like a lot for say a small team to mm-hmm. stay on top of. Um, so I, when, when people are looking at that, I, I think there are a couple of different avenues that they can go to for help. You can, you can hire somebody who's an expert, right? Yep. Everybody can, can go out and find their own Tyler. Um, I I'm kidding. There's only one of you, but um, <laughs> thank goodness. I mean, there, <laughs> there are, there are tools, right? I mean, you're talking about like, like yep. tracking user behavior on a site. I'm thinking tools like Hotjar, those yep. kinds of things that, that look into that. Uh, and then I guess also, I mean, there's a, there's the agency route as well. If your if your team and your spend uh, is large enough, yep. um, but not something that you want to spend a lot of time on, you can go with right. an agency partner. Yeah, I think you're absolutely. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it, you know, I, none of what we're talking about today is an overwhelming approach. I mean, it can be all iterative in multiple different ways and fashions. I mean, I think that it all really all depends on on what if defining at the end of the day you as a marketer and you trying to support your company and your organization um in the growth of sales the growth of of giving your your customers the user experience they want to be able to find the solutions they want which are hopefully your products you know that is a huge iterative approach so if you're a one-person shop sure there's only 24 hours in a day so you may have five other things you have to get done at which point your ability to really segment data and pull it apart and really look at you know what is the information that my company is collecting could be fairly low versus going the route of, like you mentioned, you know, an agency where you hire a partner that has um, additional people to be able to help support that. So, you know, everything that we're talking about today, I think really has, um, you know, different varying levels of complexity that you may want to get into, you know, conversely, if I'm a small business, I may not have that much information to be able to ha- that I have to go through um, to understand, you know, what first party data I have and how to lever- how to properly leverage it. Versus a large corporate or entity, which may have, you know, may have very large, vast quantities of data, just from the historical standpoint, just from the volume standpoint of the of the of the, um, the customers you're interacting with, and also that you know it could be something as large as their social properties. You know, you may have a small business that has maybe a Facebook page, a Google My Business page, or something like that, or you could have you know a larger corporate entity that has you know multiple brand presence presence on different social platforms to which point you're now managing you know five linkedin accounts for different brands of your same account for your, your same company so you know i think it really all depends in in all these different varying levels of complexity that you can get into i mean I, I i've spent a lot of my career looking at data and really segmenting and cutting it apart that's something that i love doing i completely understand both ends of the spectrum what you just mentioned so for those marketers who are really hit with a lot of data from a lot of different places. You mentioned, you know, they get it from, from different departments, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of it collectively, you're going to be able to, to see some insights. You're going to be able to, to draw some conclusions. 
right. but it's a lot of data to manage. It's, it's coming from a lot of different streams. What's the best way for people to get, to sort of get on top of that, get a handle on it? Yeah. I, again, I think that I, I can't harp on enough. I really think that just going back and looking inwards and just really doing an audit, whether it's, you know, half an hour, an hour or, or two hours and just, and just taking a look and, and seeing, taking stock of where your data is coming from and just understanding where it is. So, you know, make up a hypothetical, hypothetical scenario for yourself, you know, and, and I know that we as marketers face these all day long and, and whatnot. So making up a hypothetical one may not be that much of a stretch. You could probably take, you know, your last project you worked on or something like that and, and understand, you know, where did this information come from? How hard was it for me to get it? Meaning if I need to report on sales, how difficult was it for me to get this? Uh, where do I think that I could have gotten more information and, and where, if I'm looking and mapping out entire customer experience, the customer journey from, you know, initial ad that they may see on, you know, on, on Facebook or something like that to actual sale and more so to that actual money sale. So not just the recording of a contact submission and things like that, where are my gaps? Um, you know, and I do this with clients a lot. This is just really just taking a look, and having a back and forth, whether that's with yourself or whether it's with you know a couple of different people that are key stakeholders in your company and saying, look, my goal and, and I need to define these outputs and outcomes are, are going to be this. You know, I'm going to have a campaign where the defined, uh, you know, output is we're going to have 50 contact submissions, which are going to equal to $10,000 in revenue, let's say, hypothetically. But the outcome of that is we're going to have better educated customers that are coming into the sales cycle, they're going to hopefully be better long-term customers because this is not just a one-time, oh, I just bought this tchotchke and that was it. You know, these are more lifetime customers. You know, these are the conversations that, you know, that we, that you like to tell clients just to step back because I think that we as marketers have a very difficult time stepping back from where we are because our day-to-day -day is, is, is constantly in the weeds and, and working through trying to solve these problems, trying to make the marketing that much better for our, for our organizations trying to be that much better, um, you know, sell, you know, growing sales and things like that. I think some of these exercises that I help clients walk through um, really kind of helps you take a deep breath, step back and then look holistically from a 10,000 foot view of, you know, what do I want my marketing to be? How am I going to make my marketing better by having all the data connected? And more importantly, how am I going to be able to report in a more efficient manner to the C-suite, you know, just selfishly, you know, get that get that bonus at the end of the year, or um, you know, obviously make the sales of your of your um, your company that much better. Well, yeah, because you're you're getting um, you're getting facts, mm -hmm. uh, and you're getting a lot of facts and a lot of small facts and some big facts. Uh, but what do they all mean together? And right. I think there are different ways to interpolate that. Um, you know, I'm reminded of a story that Martin Lindstrom told in a, in a book called Small Data, where mm -hmm. uh, he was talking about the kinds of conclusions that Lego drew from what they were seeing in terms of, of the changing attention spans of children. Mm -hmm. uh, they started making their, their kits with bigger pieces. They were easier and faster to put together. And they almost <laughs> went under. And, uh, and it was from actually talking to people, talking to individuals, uh, especially an 11-year-old boy in Dusseldorf, that they understood what actually drove him to do hard things. And, uh, and, and part of it was just having a challenge. Yep. And so when they started to make their, their, their sets with smaller pieces, um, that's, that's when it became an achievement, something somebody could be proud of. And now they're like the number one toy brand in the world. Um, 
And that wasn't really from data that that was from from listening. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so there's always that balancing act there as well. Um, so the, the data itself is vitally important, but then the insight, I think that you can, that you can provide to that. And, uh, I mean, what do you, what do you have at your disposal there besides gut instinct, you know, with that sort of thing? Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah, you, you start with data, create a hypothesis, and then you go into the website and you see how your campaigns are doing and understand, you know, the beauty of the data of data these days is the ability to take a look and say, look. I think my key cut my customers X, just like Lego analogy. I think my key customer is this, and I think they want this. What I love more than anything in the world is to go back and say, okay, either yes, my hypothesis was confirmed, or B, no, it wasn't, but here's why. You know, there's there's a lot of platforms that we use. One of them is Hotjar, which you, I think you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which is which is a great heat mapping tool, which just helps us understand, you know, just purely from the design standpoint and kind of marrying the design and data together. You know, we created a page, a landing page to do X because this is what, you know, what the marketing is going to do. You know, is it effective? Is it not? Where do we need to tweak? You know, I think that, you know, tweaking is and understanding where, you know, failing quickly and is, is, you know, one of the great quotes of all time, but really understanding how do you fail quickly and how do you make an adjustment so that you can hopefully maximize and optimize that, you know? You know, we all build and create landing pages and things that with with the intended end user experience, but sometimes it may not be what we think it is. You know, kind of going back to your original analogy. You know, we we think it should do this, and we think the end user wants this. Well, sometimes the data tells you otherwise, and that's you know that's kind of the converse of of some of the other data that we were talking about, which is information that you already have with someone. This is this is more looking on the fly and understanding. You know, is the data corroborating what we're saying versus? <laughs> disagreeing with us in many ways so so what what do you see as more reliable in that sense uh and needing more or less interpolation like first party data or second party data um i i think first party data to me really comes with more street cred if you will um, you know, first party data is that information you're getting directly from the horse's mouth. I mean, it's from, it's from the end user themselves. Um, it's someone visiting your website and really interacting with it. Um, whereas the second party is, is information you're coming, you're obviously getting to an, a, you know, an agreement with someone, for instance, if you use the example of Google ads, um, you know, you go to Google ads, say, I want to look at, I want to set it, set up an ad to go to these people. Google's extrapolated all that data already says, sure, we can do it for this price. You agree on the price and then you, you, you sell your ads. Is that, is that data always 100% accurate? That's open to debate and, you know, uh, and open to interpretation, but I think that it's, it's definitely accurate. But to me, I always tend to go back to the actual actions that someone has taken on a site and actions they've done by giving me their information, whether that's, you know, working through a website, where that's something as simple as someone giving, going to onto a preference center on a website and saying, look, I want this information about these different products. You know, those are, those are true intention type actions people are taking versus, um, you know, true intentions or actions someone's taken somewhere else. And then they're kind of selling that information to you, knowing that that is something that, you know, someone's either interested in or they're done. So, um, again, I tend to go back as close. I, I tend to believe that as close as you can get to the actual person doing the action is, is going to be the most accurate. Um, it's usually, uh, you know, it's not, no data is without flaw, but I think that the first party itself is, 
is, is where it's going to be. Um, and I think that, that that's an opportunity for us as marketers internally to help increase and grow that user experience because that helps us to potentially cross sell. Um, you know, there's nobody that does it better than Amazon who has the ability to, to cross sell and say, look, people bought this, also bought that. You know, that, that's, you know, our expectations, our expectations as end users, kind of flipping on its head for a second, our expectations and users in the internet these days is we're bombarded with so much information. We expect these customized user experiences, um, and just like the just like going into the the you know the, the the store and and buying more cat food, you know having having the person that knows what kind of cat food your little your little cat Mr. Fluffy likes uh, and knows the fact that he may be allergic to this other type of cat food, you know that, that's what we want, uh, and we're, we're willing to give this for more additional first party data for. Um, we, we, we're willing to give you this information as long as you use it responsibly. Now, if you don't and you start selling it to people and things like that, that's where we, we as users, um, tend to close down very quickly on it. So. I, I do like that there's this conversation about ethics, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really, you know, the there's a point to which everybody's sort of being forced to be more ethical, um, which, you know, that. I'm, I'm okay with because I do think it helps the the consumer. Um, mm -hmm. But I also like that there are a lot of good avenues for marketers to go about things the right way. I think we'll all sleep a little better at night <laughs> knowing that, uh, that we're continuing as marketers selling things to people, uh, right. you know, to know that we're doing it in a responsible manner. So uh, it sounds like an overall good development, but it is going to cause some, some disruption, I think for a little while. It is. And I think that's just going to be, we're going to have to figure out as, as marketers, how to work with it. Um, you know, going back to uh, the Apple example, um, you know, Apple's much like GDPR. I think that we as end users are used to now seeing um, cookie notices and different and different notices uh, in any various website that you go to where it says, you know, we're going to use, we're going to use your, your, you know, the cookie data here to be able to give you this type of user experience. I think that we're, we're getting used to it and we're, we come to expect it, um, you know, with this update from Apple and apps, I think you'll start to see, and you'll continue to see, um, as you go from one app to another, you know, you'll see notices, the same thing. They'll say, look, you're, you're leaving to you. And, and this third party site is going to be using your, at your data to do this, this, and this, are you okay with it? Yes or no. You know, I think that to your point, the ethical part, I think that there's, I think there's some refreshment in some people's minds to say, look, I can, ha I have more control. I can do what I want with the data. I may, I may not be able to have the ideal user experience that I want because cookies and, and data are, are so much, so much of what powers, you know, the behind the scenes to make a good user experience for websites and things like that. But I think that people understand that nowadays. And I think, especially after, you know, two and a half, two and a half years of, of GDPR in place, I think that people are used to it. Um, and in many ways, kind of going back to, it, I think that people are willing to give up their, this information, um, to be able to have a good customized user experience. You know, I can't imagine trying to navigate Amazon without having, you know, <laughs> without having, you know, them, oh, here's, here's what was in your cart from last time. By the way, here's what's on sale at the same time, you know, making easy, you know, there's, there's nothing, I have a three-year-old, there's nothing right. worse than, you know having to reorder something for her and, and, you know, have to go search through Amazon for it when I can just go back to my last door and say, Oh, here it is. Great. Thanks. All stuff powered by cookies and things like that. Yeah, so. exactly. Right. So, well, yeah. I, and the three-year-old uh, frequently powered by cookies as well, I would assume. Oh yeah, very much so. 
very much so. <laughs> oh, very much so. That that's fantastic. Hey, last question for you today. Uh, sure. you know, going back to our pet store analogy, uh, do you have a pet? I do. A 14-year-old deaf and partially blind lab who just enjoys hopping around with the three-year-old enjoying cookies as well. Um, probably shouldn't be, and I think that the vet, <laughs> the vet is not too pleased with that. But yes, oh yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and what's your what's your dog's name? Uh, this is Abby. Abby's been a good, Excellent. faithful pet for a long time. We've got a five-year-old golden retriever named oh, Bill Murray. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I actually named him William James Murray um, after <laughs> after the man himself. Um, but uh, he's, yeah, if anybody needs first-party data on him, he's uh, he, he plays to type. He's definitely yeah. a, a standard golden retriever and uh, basically runs on anything he can get his hands on. Right. Very, very willing to tell you about his preference in tennis balls and other types of chew toys and things like that. Right. Well, basically any, anything we're holding, he's interested in, you know, cause we can play with that. What's that? Can I eat it? Can I play with it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Tyler, thanks so much for sitting down with us today. Um, I, I feel, uh, I feel a little smarter and a little more responsible from having chatted with you. Appreciate it, Scott. Thank you.